Hello, listeners, and welcome to Workforce Inside, the podcast for business leaders looking for fresh insights and solutions to today's most pressing workforce challenges. I'm your host, Bhushan Sethi, Joint Global People and Organization Leader at PwC. In each episode, you'll receive new ideas from experienced practitioners who are helping employers drive workforce transformation. In this episode, we'll discuss how companies have and are continuing to prepare for their post-pandemic future of work. Joining me today, I'm delighted to welcome back Julia Lamb, PwC's Global Workforce Strategy Leader. Hey, Julia, how are you today? Hey, I'm great, Bouchon. Thanks so much for having me. Good, good. I'm delighted to be here to talk about all things future of work. So in the spirit of work, tell me about your first job. Yeah, my first job right out of undergrad, I was working at a small PR agency. It was in New York City. I was an account coordinator. Some of my day-to-day tasks now, probably people wouldn't believe. I remember one, you know, when you walked into the office, there was no email that you could access from home. So you really didn't know what had happened over the course of the night. You had actually turned off over the evening. So that was kind of nice. I miss I miss those days. But I also had a dictaphone. My boss had a dictaphone who essentially left some tasks that I would need to do over the course of the day. Now, I also did some account management and some, you know, what I would call PR work. But in this day and age, you know, putting in the tape, playing it, rewinding it to hear instructions, it's something no one on our team even believes that I did. And they get a good chuckle out of it when I describe it to people. How about you, Bushan? Tell us about your first job. Well, I was at the ripe old age of 13 years old, and I started delivering newspapers in our local neighborhood after school so I could afford to go watch my football team. It's a great experience. The football team's there, but newspapers being delivered by young people learning how to work in this environment is unfortunately not a job that any of our kids will be will be doing. So hopefully there'll be different jobs in the future for our, for our children to be able to learn good skills. So... Julia, in the spirit of learning from our past, you and I have been looking at the future of work in all different guises for a number of years, for as long as we've known each other professionally. When you think about the future of work and you look back to when you first embarked upon that to the client, what are your memories of that topic? I remember a client where we were talking quite a bit about flexibility. We ran a program with them, helping them to assess their overall appetite for any remote working and how that would be, you know, adjusted to by the organization. So flexibility was one of the things that came up early around future of work. I remember we co-authored the Human Capital 2020 paper where we were trying to predict some of the things that were going to be true in 2020. And we had some interesting things in there around the concept of performance management shifting to be more driven by value and compensation tied to that. We had that concept of talent exchange and sort of the uh, idea that externally you'd be much more upfront with your skills and your feedback. And we've seen elements of that come true. I think that it's, you know, it, it was really piecemeal though. We didn't have quite a, this overarching holistic view of what the future of work meant as we talk about it today. I moved to the States in 2001. It was the height of the dot-com boom. Everything was going digital. Businesses were looking to digitize their engagement with their customers. Everybody had to get an internet site. There was disruption in many, many places. Then I remember the future of work concepts really being alive at the end of the financial crisis as firms started getting really focused on culture and ethics 
And how do we think about kind of the human aspects in different industries, especially in banking? And, and what's interesting, as you mentioned, over the last 10 years that we've known each other, we've written lots of papers that have talked about 2030, what does the future of work look like? We've looked at 2020. There's a lot of commonalities amongst them in terms of the need to plan, the need to think about the use of technology. In my digital example, we're still talking about digital strategies with clients. It's taken on a different form of automation and AI and cloud, but digital is still a big, big trend. I think what's interesting is planning, digital, the need to focus on your culture, the need to focus on your skills of your people are very consistent across that 20 years and especially the last 10. How do governments and businesses work together? How do we think about social inclusion? How do we think about mental health and well-being? They were points of emphasis that we didn't really have 10 years ago, five years ago. I think that points back to the concept of who does a company really answer to? What are its objectives? Thinking about shareholders. And I remember going through a business school, it was all about maximizing shareholder value, right? And now we're broadening that to think about all constituencies, stakeholder value, how that overall plays and a company's role in contributing back to overall social good and well-being. And where that's getting a lot of momentum with our clients is they want to understand, you know, hey, why does this matter for me? Why should I be thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion besides that being the right thing to do? Well, now the thing being the right thing to do is of the forefront and companies are being reviewed and critiqued for that. And we're starting to see reporting and transparency around that. So it's driving a lot of momentum, but there's a lot of companies that have been looking left and right and talking about it for a long time, but who are afraid to get on the bandwagon until their peers did. So that's creating a really great sense of momentum around that. Yeah. And to build off of that point, I think it's really interesting when we look back to this topic to say, you and I have often said, we're not in the predictions business. We're not futurists. It's about thinking through a framework, thinking about planning, thinking about the role of technology, thinking about all the other disruptive trends, whether it be geopolitical, climate, health, how do they impact your work and your business? But there are some things that we probably overemphasized in our prediction. So I remember we, we thought that there'd be a lot more automation. We thought there'd be a lot more use of digital in our consumer lives. We're not, we don't have driverless cars now. We haven't even fixed some of our infrastructure in terms of transportation in this country, even pre-pandemic. Humans are still resistant to lots and lots of change. So I think the lesson learned for me is also we overemphasize the degree of transformation that might happen, whether it's in a business model or in a workforce context or from a technological piece. And so we may, we may need to kind of check some of our own assumptions, even now in the pandemic, about how work gets done, where it gets done, what the skills of the future might be, what business models might win, what might lose. And I know that's heresy to, to, to certain of our listeners, because we've basically said that COVID has accelerated all existing future of work trends. But I'm curious as you think about that, when you look back to see the things we were talking about 10 years ago, what of them have kind of did we overshoot versus undershoot? I do think it's heresy. I think we've seen a ton of evolution over the last year that, you know, the concept of change, but getting more change, we have seen 
customer demands and the ability of organizations, companies to very quickly flex. Look at restaurants in New York City and how creative they've gotten to try to stay open. We thought their business models, it's a bit of a survival of forcing mechanism. But I look at all of that innovation and change and how rapidly some companies, delivery companies, organizations that are providing virtual fitness programs, like all of these companies have evolved really quickly to meet the needs of, of what's come up because of COVID. And I think our clients want to embrace that too. There some are some are still resistant. You're you're right about that. People are naturally resistant to change. But I would say, you know, just thinking about where our clients are considering their path to their future, most of them want to say, hey, what's the good that's come of this? And what can we embrace and take forward into our new ways of working? So necessary kind of innovation and, you know, a crisis being the mother of innovative behaviors and changes in how you work. So maybe we can compromise and say individuals have been incredibly resilient. And we've seen that in our own consumer lives. We adopt new technology seamlessly in any consumer life kind of we have. When we're in organizations, we resist all kinds of change until it's forced upon us. And maybe it's technology and infrastructure that we over-exaggerate in terms of extolling the benefits or the ability for it to scale, given the fact that a number of companies still use manual processes. As a number of companies do not use visualization tools, they use spreadsheets resource system that, that looks at data across finance and HR, and again, uh, in terms of data strategies. So maybe what we need to be looking at is as we as consultants and industry practitioners work with businesses to say, how do you think about the future of digital channels, the future of your data strategy, um, the future of your workplace, that we think about and anticipate areas that there may be resistance or areas where we need to move the needle, whether it's technology or, or we need to kind of think about the adoption rates of technology, the use of data, and, and kind of individuals will, will lead some of that change. Well, and I agree. The smaller organizations and more akin to individuals can definitely evolve much quicker, right? They don't have all the complexity of the legacy systems and uh, data being sourced from a variety of different places. I do think we, you know, despite all of that, the move to more simplicity and consolidating data, consolidating how you are using tools and technology to tell stories in a different way with data, drive more impactful decisions. I think all of that is is sort of at the turning point. We do keep hearing, you know, that our clients are investing in digital transformation. And so, you know, I do think we'll keep seeing that shift. But it's hard, it's complex, and there's tons of change fatigue tied into, you know, overall COVID fatigue, tied into just that, you know, people don't have the rewards, the trips, all of that that they used to have um, to look forward to. So, uh, you know, I think it, it will take time and people are naturally resistant to change. Got it. So, so one way to learn about how we can really optimize today's workforce strategies is to look to past experience. We've done that. We've talked about the last 10 years. But now, if we pivot forward to 2025, at the risk of being wrong with some of these assertions, imagining what the world of work and the world of business might be. As I think about that, I need to understand what the banking model of the future is going to be. Who are the customer segments? 
How much of that's going to be commercial businesses? Are they going to be small businesses? What kind of credit policies? How does that product and service get consumed through what digital channels or what branch structures before I can start to think about where does that work get done? Who's performing that work, humans or bots or contingent workers? And how you think about that work environment and the culture around it. So you really need to think about business models. So we could talk about different industries that will be going through a huge sense of change. If you think about agriculture, if agriculture is going to be much more plant-based, there's going to be a need for new machinery, new sourcing methods, new skills, maybe new people coming into, into the farming industry. We could talk about the energy industry, Julia where you know we've seen the terrible weather patterns and the impact on alternative energy. Really thinking about businesses in the future before you can think about how work and work gets done. How are you thinking about 2025? There's a lot we can learn from the last year that we can apply to 2025, but a couple things in particular. One, around planning and running different scenarios. So I remember being on calls, including one with you early on in the pandemic, where we were talking about, hey, what if you're not in the office by the end of the summer? Hey, what if you're not in the office by the end of the year? And even years before that, when we were one run different scenario planning activities, hey, what if a global pandemic hits? And our clients really didn't take those exercises seriously to say, what happens if that happens? And you know, there's all these exercises companies can take to future-proof their organizations. And I hope that we see more of those gamifying the, the future of the business scenario exercises, because I think we've seen a lot. We've seen that anything's possible. So that's one area I hope we take into 2025. The second is around skills of the future. PwC co-sponsored a study with the World Economic Forum to define the top 10 skills of 2025. Now, there are, I don't know, tens, hundreds of these lists floating around. So the idea that you're going to get the perfect skill list, well, that's not going to happen. But I do love looking at the lists that have all of these different skills that are more about resilience, adaptability, and the things we've seen successful workers have as they navigate through COVID. So analytical thinking and innovations on there, active listening and learning strategies, complex problem solving, critical thinking and analysis, creativity, originality, initiative. And skills triggers another point when you think about 2025. What is the future of education? We learn through technology. We obviously know that virtual learning is here to stay in some shape or form. What is the future of cities? Where will people work? We talked about the trend of urbanization heavily over the last 10 years. We bet long on urbanization. There are many people on different sides of that trade to say, me being one sitting here in New York City, it's going to come back and it'll just it'll just be a matter of time. And others to say, it's a work from anywhere model and the best organizations will be able to scoop up talent where they want to work and the future of cities is bleak. There is no real answer around that. We will see. Just to build on that piece about the future of cities, I, I'm not a futurist, like you said, but... I do think there's staying power in cities. We've been, you know, pulsing the workforce and there's all this talk about a mass departure from cities, but I know our data points to, you know, it not being that tremendous. It's something like 6% have made long-term living changes. We will hopefully get back here together at some point soon. So thanks for that. So 
So we've talked about the last 10 years. We pivoted into 2025. So let's get back to 2021. We have both said a number of aspects of the future of work are still highly relevant in the pandemic. The need to plan your business model and where you will drive revenue, whether you're in a struggling sector that relies on human contact or you're on the right side of the K-shaped recovery and you're a technology firm that's now thinking about how do I deliver recurring revenue through products, through ecosystems of joint business partners? How do I acquire businesses? There are lots of different businesses at different phases here, but you know a number of trends are still relevant in terms of the need to plan, the need to embrace the use of different technologies, both on the customer and the people side, the need to have really good adaptive people that, as you said, have a right mix of leadership, inclusive and agile learning skills, but also comfortable with technology and comfortable with uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty now in the short term. What would you add to how clients should be thinking about their future of work over the next 18 months? I think the point about transparency and that element that they're looking left, they're looking right, they're trying to figure out how they're going to go forward. I think that's going to be a big one, right? And we are seeing, you know, reporting requirements and things like that come out around the workforce, companies sharing more information about their diversity and inclusion numbers, companies making public commitments to social equity. So all of that, I think, is is very promising. I think, too, when you think about the productivity piece and what we've actually seen happen during the last 11 months, we're still going to need to see more work around that and actually understanding what the workforce is doing. And when you layer in automation over that and think about what people are doing, how their jobs are evolving, what they need to do in the future and the skills for that. I think there's a lot of preparation organizations need to do in terms of going back to the learning topic, getting their employees ready for all of that and giving them a chance to succeed. Yeah. And I'd like to pick up on your point on productivity because this, again, is one of these emotionally charged topics. Tons of external research from us and others have really highlighted the success of remote working. 22% of the U.S. workforce is currently working from home, as per the January uh, jobs report, and productivity by and large has been good and improved. I would challenge that to say how effectively are firms measuring that productivity on a sustainable basis. It's not just about the outputs, it's about the outcomes. And if I'm not baking in rest, the ability to learn, then it's not really going to be sustainable and value-add. So in the context of the broader business and society. We like to throw around kind of statements around measures are improving, but they still feel quite single-threaded. To measure sustainable productivity, we may need to lower expectation on the outputs we create to improve the overall outcomes and the experience. And it's incredibly personal, right? Like you and I, you know, we could spend our time the exact same way. Um, We could come up with wildly different outcomes, but all the things underlying that, right? Stress at home, how you feel physically, all these other personal things. It's no wonder clients struggle to measure it. And it's no wonder we struggle to measure it. We still use timesheets and measure that our employees are working longer hours because of that. But that doesn't correlate to your point back to higher levels of productivity. Yeah. And so a broader point around measurement is that, you know, over the next 18 months, firms are looking at this already. 
businesses really have to take a position and be very deliberate about how they're going to measure the creation of value to meet all of their stakeholders. So beyond just financial, but thinking about customers and people measures and other aspects for their society and communities. So as we look to wrap up, we've tried to look back and see what we can learn from thinking about the future of work, what might change in 2025 in terms of business models and consumer preferences and where people might live and work and how they might learn. Then we've brought it back to kind of today's priorities. What are the two or three things that you think you really want people to take away from this podcast? For me, key takeaways from today. One, I'd say, you know, the past is a great place to learn lessons, right? And and reflect on what were the things we did that helped us to better prepare for the future. Planning and scenario and running different scenarios is definitely one that's come up. And I also think just being open-minded that you're not going to get everything. You need to recognize, you know, scenario planning only goes so far. You're not going to predict necessarily the next pandemic. So I think planning is a big opportunity for our clients to start to embed that further in their DNA. I'd say when you think about in the future state and looking towards the future, prioritizing the power skills and developing resources that are innovative, adaptable, critical thinkers, that's a huge opportunity for our clients and a a place where they should be looking for their talent and, and enabling the talent to grow in those places. And I think the last piece you've hit on, Bouchon, is around uh, the role of the company overall and their responsibility to society and to a variety of stakeholders versus you know the historic shareholder view. Those are the places where I think from a workforce perspective, we need to be focusing on in the next 12, 18, 24 months to create the most impact and also you know future-proof the workforce until 2025. Maybe just one thing to add to that. So I agree with all of that. Embedding the future of work considerations into everything your business is doing today. So if you're if you're working on M&A transactions, if you're working on a cost simplification program, if you're accelerating your digital agenda, all of those have future of work considerations from how do people need to upskill? Where does that work get located? Are you operating in a hybrid environment? Do you have the right tools and the right inclusive leadership to execute that? How are you kind of working together with the community to drive your talent pipeline? So really making sure that you're working with the business and embedding kind of the future of work into all those business initiatives, for me, is a critical component of this. This is not something that would just be done separately as a nice strategic initiative, it needs to be core to the business transformation agenda. Julia, thank you so much again for taking the time and being a repeat guest with us today. This has been a great discussion. It's been a great look back. It's been a little nostalgic going through our 10-year journey. It's been great to actually look forward beyond 2021, a few years ahead, and then to, to ground us in the reality of the here and now and what we can do as advisors and as business leaders around this very, very important business and societal topic. So thank you again. And thank you listeners for tuning into this episode of Workforce Insight. For more insights on how to tackle your organization's workforce challenges, please visit our website and subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app.
This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.